Well, uh, on this Father's Day, actually, we're going to talk, continue, we start a series on worship, and actually going to continue through it. There's Method to the Madness um, for our dads, and all that actually is going on at this time of year. Um, but I felt like the Lord just wanted to focus on this, and what we're going to talk about today is why do we worship? We've talked about that a little bit already, but um, yeah, so this is going to be pretty teaching heavy. So in other words, it's a really simple teaching. At the end, you're going to realize, wow, it took you all that time to get to one sentence. And the answer is yes. Yes, it did. But it's because, uh, well, it'll make sense as we go. Anytime we're talking about God and we think it's just something we can just kind of comprehend easily, we don't know who we're talking about. We don't know who we're talking about. Wasn't it wonderful that we landed on wow with God? Oh, you guys have no idea how significant that was. Uh, and it'll make more sense in a minute. So, Lord, we say, first of all, as we're talking about worship, you're the one we worship. Thank you for, thank you for the way you revealed yourself to us this morning. That we could see you a little bit. The, the God who dwells in unapproachable light, who we can't see, but who's made yourself available and knowable through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. We, we say, will you continue it? Lord, thank you for how joyful Vic Cruz is. Right? I mean, just it's the glory and beauty of God that we can enjoy the life you've given us together as you're redeeming us. You're changing the way we think, we act, and we relate to one another. And we say, glory to you for all that you're doing. So come and meet us now as we look at your words, knowing that you are going to speak to us by the Spirit right now. Thank you. Amen. So, to talk about worship, we've been basing this whole series on one sentence. <laughs> it the basically the linchpin that Paul wrote to these folks in Rome uh, a long time ago, almost 2,000 years ago. And he says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So you can see a lot's packed in there to define what is worship, why do we worship, how do we worship. But what I want to do today is just look at one word, is the word therefore. That's just what we're going to look at. Anytime you see the word therefore, what do you ask? What's it there for? There's a reason that there's a therefore, okay? And so most any scholars would say that this this is a really interesting therefore right here at Romans 12.1 because really we see in Romans 1 through 11, God, uh, Paul is unpacking what is the good news? What is the gospel? He gives us an intro at the first about 15 verses and then he unpacks it for 11 chapters. Then he says, therefore, and then he says, here's how to live out the gospel. So this therefore is really, really important for this letter for Paul. So, that's why we're going to spend a little time. And it's also completely reasonable to understand that when he says, therefore, he's talking about everything he said in the first 11 chapters. Does that make sense? So in light of this long explanation I've given you of what the gospel is, therefore, live like this. So that's what we're going to be looking at is, is the, very, the very beginning of this, actually, so Paul's talking about the gospel, and the gospel's good news, but we needed good news because there was bad news. 
And so we're going to go to the very beginning of Romans to see what was the problem, what was the bad news that required that we need good news. And I'm just going to read this, and we're going to notice some things. So Paul's saying that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. So I want to look at just, okay, therefore God gave over it to sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped, worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. So here's the, here's the problem. It's misplaced worship. Did you know that misplaced worship is at the fundamental root of all of our problems? Worshiping the wrong thing. So Paul lays it out. The reason we even need a gospel is because of misplaced worship. But here are the key ideas we see in Romans 1, 18 through 25. Although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. They exchanged. And by the way, when you see they, Romans 2 lets us know, you can just put in me. I have. Okay? So it's not those people. We are those people. Okay. So although they knew God, although we knew God, we never glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. We exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. And here's the things I want to notice is this idea of the glory of God, glorifying God is bound up with worship. So the idea is this, is that glory, the glory of God is the key to understanding why we worship God. So the question is, what is the glory of God? You can see I picked a small topic for today. <laughs> and really what we want to know is because we're using Romans 12, we want to know, okay, what was on, when we're looking at Paul talking about glory, when he's talking about what is in his head, okay, so this is what we're going to look at. We know Paul was a good Jew, he, he was a guy that had been trained by the best. He, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. So this guy knew the Hebrew Bible, knew the Old Testament. So what we're going to do to start is to understand what glory what meant to Paul. We're going to look at just a quick tour of glory of God in the Old Testament. The, the Hebrew word most often used is kavod for glory. It, and, and, and it can be, it's, it's got a root meaning weight or heaviness. But most often isn't tra- translated like this, like honor, splendor, wealth, the high status. The, the glory of something is its, its significance, its beauty, its splendor. You can see it like it's in Psalm 21.5. There's these synonyms. God, through the victories you gave, his glory is great. You bestowed on him splendor and majesty. And here's the deal. 
I wish that the Bible gave a simple definition of what the glory of God is. And here's the challenge is, is <laughs> as a teacher, I want to give you a simple definition. But I've realized any and every try reduces something. And, and, and that's why I think the Bible doesn't actually give us a simple definition. So what we're going to do, I thought, let's, let's, it's, it's God's so smart. What he did instead was he, he decided, I'm going to reveal my glory over time. So you get a feel for what this is all about. So the first thing we see in the Old Testament is God alone is the one who's glorious. There is nobody else. He's called the King of Glory, the Glorious One. Isn't that a cool name? The Glorious One. He says, I am the Lord. That's my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. So it tells us already, right away when Paul talks about transferring glory in God to idols, he's already saying we're already way off the mark here because there's no glory in anything other than God himself. Then we see that the glory of God in the Old Testament has to do with God's presence. Now we know that God is everywhere present, but at times he intensifies his presence. But we see things like, so talking about the temple, the, the writer of Psalm 26 says, Lord, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. And we see this moment when, when Solomon was praying over the new temple. It says, when the priests withdrew from the holy place, there was a cloud that filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. God showed up and they literally couldn't even enter the place. Because God's presence or an intensification of his presence was there at a moment. I, I'll, these slides will avail, be available on, online that we was posting just below the, the video. So I've got things in here that I, I like to give you these things because you can contemplate them. You can think about them. If something hits you, come back to it and look at it. We see the glory of God in his creation. We just talked about that with family and fun. But it's a Lord or oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory in the heavens. You ever have that sense when you see a sunset that you just go, oh, there's something going on there. The heavens declare the glory of God. Have any of you guys seen the Hubble telescope pictures? Like this, this was written before anybody could see past what was visible with the human eye. The billions of galaxies that are out there. The heavens declare the glory of God. And then Isaiah has this image of God in his throne room. And there's these, these crazy beams called seraphim that are these angelic beams. And, and they're just saying to each other, because they don't know what else to say when they're in God's presence. say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The weight of his presence, the beauty, the splendor of God. And then we see also that in the Old Testament, God's actions demonstrate his glory. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. See that parallelism there. The ways of the Lord demonstrate how smart and good and beautiful it is. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the peoples. There's some more references for you to look at that. So what God does shows his glory. And then there's moments in the Old Testament where God visually to the human eye reveals what his glory is like. 
So one we see is in a cloud, Exodus 16.10. They looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. And here's all the other times where he does it. He ain't afraid to show up like that. That there's a cloud. I mean, anybody notice that something overwhelming can be in a cloud? (laughs) How many of you don't have power? (laughs) Light, the light of God, the court. This is Ezekiel seeing the, the future temple rebuilt. The court was full of the radiance, radiance of the glory of the Lord. Light. Lightning. I wrote this sermon before I knew there was a weather system coming, by the way. <laughs> this was already, already done when it blew through last night. So Ezekiel says, I looked and saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning surrounded by brilliant light. And by verse 28 of that, we see that is the glory of the Lord. This overwhelming thing. I had this moment last night. I live at 86 in Sheridan. And, and so the reason I say that is you probably didn't have this exact same experience because I swear the lightning hit right the same time I saw it. Right? And it was this moment of poof, And I was just like, something visceral happens. That's not pre-thought out of like, I'm going to contemplate the glory of God. It's like, oh, mom. You know? It was like, I am very little, really quick, <laughs> you know, really, really quick. Fire. God revealed himself in human eyes as fire, as glory to the Israelites. The glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. That's Mount Sinai when they're in the desert. There's all these different times where he shows up as fire. His glory, his, his, his weight of his being, the splendor of his majesty. So a couple of times it comes this deep darkness. It's fascinating that God speaks in his presence out of this deep darkness. Powerful. Loud sounds. Ezekiel is talking about basically this, we'll look at it in a minute, but this, this kind of divine chariot that was moved around by these cherubim and, and they had these wings that said the sound of the wings of the cherubim could be heard as far away as the outer court of the temple, this massive building, like the voice of God Almighty when he speaks. In times God reveals his glory as a voice. I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with glory. Have any of you guys been out to the ocean, and you've heard it just thumping on rocks, and you can kind of feel something, and you realize, whoa, I'm out of my league, man. I mean, if I'm not going to go swimming in that. <clears throat> And it said the glory of God was like that, a voice like the roar of rushing waters. God reveals himself in places, his glory in places at times. We see that he was in the desert. He was on a mountain, the tent of meeting out in the desert, tabernacle and temple very frequently, the Ark of the Covenant, Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And in his very throne room, when Isaiah gets to see a peak in that, 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 that God, who is over everything, who is larger than everything, at times just says, in this place, I'm going to drop a vision of my glory. And here's what's fascinating. I'm, I'm coming to kind of this conclusion about the glory of God, which is fascinating to me, is what is at the heart 
of God's glory. Because what we need to know is everything we've seen up to now is God's glory. But what is at the very core of it? And the reason I, I think this is the case is because there's this, as you remember, Moses, who had seen everything we just said. Think about this. Moses, his intro is a bush that won't burn. And then God speaks to him through that. Then he, he has these crazy miracles where, you know, a staff turns into a snake. And, and then he ends up going to Egypt and, and before the most powerful guy in the world. And, and these plagues are coming. And, and, and the, the, the whole river turns to blood. You know, they, and then finally, when they're leaving Egypt... Moses sees a whole sea split in half and goes through it. And then by Exodus 19, he's going to this mountain where God descends on it as smoke, fire. There's lightning, there's rumbles of thunder, and he hears the voice of God. Moses has done all this. And then he says this to God, now show me your glory. What is that? I mean, I'd go for one or two of those. But look how God responds. He says, okay, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. For no one can see me and live. It's too much. So then here's what happens. It says the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now just think about this for a second. God's revealed himself to Moses in pretty much every way we know about in the Old Testament. And when Moses says, show me your glory, this is what he reveals. I don't know all that it means, but I knew it means a couple things. The first one is that God is a relational God. And his glory is relational. Anger, love. And that at the core of this is this God who is loving and just. Look at both love, complete love, but he's also just. He's not just sloppy love. It's, 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 it's poignant. Pope. It, it, it knows what's true. So could it be at the core of God's glory? The overwhelming weight of his beauty, his splendid majesty, is that he is eternally loving and just. Another thing to notice is toward the end of the Old Testament witness, Ezekiel's uh, a, a priest who prophesies, and he's at Israel's worst point in its history. Israel had just been sent into exile because they've been disobeying God for so long. He's like, okay. I'm going to have to put you in time out. And that's pretty much the exile is. It's a lot worse. But, you know, so, so Ezekiel's there with God's people in Babylon. Where's the temple? Not Babylon. 
Where's God's presence usually? Temple, not in Babylon. If an Ezekiel's by this river, it's his 30th birthday, and he has a vision. He says, I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. And then Ezekiel basically describes these cherubim that, that have wheels next to him, and basically they're moving this divine chariot. It's, it's a very, as you read it, it's a little confusing to read, but the more you look at it, I was like, this is a divine chariot with wheels on it, which is pretty awesome if you think about it. And so th- then this is what happens after Ezekiel's described this. I get that now to verse 25. He described this divine chariot with these cherubim that are, the, these huge wings that are moving this thing around. They said, there came a voice from above. There's a vault, and another translation is called like a platform. So it's the platform of the chariot. There came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. And above the vault, over their heads, was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. That's really bright blue stone. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down. And I heard the voice one speaking. Here's a fascinating thing. That Ezekiel is seeing the glory of God as a person. All this, all these manifestations that have already been seen throughout the history of Israel. Now, there's this guy, a man on the throne. Later, he says it again. He says, and the glory of the Lord was standing there. Whoa. The glory of the Lord was standing there like the glory I'd seen by the Kibar River. The first chapter, he said, and I fell face down. We'll see later, Ezekiel's getting a workout. So what did Paul have in mind if this is the Old Testament witness of the glory of God? Well, we know it's God alone. It's God's presence, God's creation that demonstrates His glory, God's actions, something that you can see, the sight, and that there's sound that's overwhelming, that He reveals Himself in a place, and that at the heart of it is that He is loving and just. And think about this. Paul knew Ezekiel's vision. In fact, there's evidence that in certain Jewish traditions, one of the main things you would contemplate to imagine what God was like is Ezekiel's vision. In fact, N.T. Wright tells us that you were only allowed to contemplate that vision after a certain age because it was so intense. But look, let's think about Paul and what else he might be thinking about with the glory of God when he writes it in Romans. And let's look at Paul's vision of glory. He talks about it when he's repeating his story. He says, About noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. 
My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you'll be told all that you've been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. Could it be that this man, Paul, who, who for the very reason he was going to Damascus was to defend the glory of God, that he knew what it looked like, he knew what it felt like, and he knew about the Ezekiel vision. Maybe he was even thinking about it. And at this moment, he sees a man whose face is so bright that it blinds him in the moment. And he is not confused at all as to who he's talking to. Because he says, what shall I do, Lord? I know what this vision is. I've heard of this. I've not seen it, but here I am. So Paul, yes, had all these things in mind, but he had this person in mind. Jesus. We're singing it today. Jesus. In fact, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Remember this at Genesis 1, creation. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of his own glory displayed in the face of Christ. And we see throughout the New Testament that Jesus fulfills and demonstrates everything. John 8, 58, he says, I am the I am. He's God's presence. He's the Emmanuel. He's the God with us. In God's creation, we see Jesus is the creator of the universe. In his actions, it says in John, that each of these miraculous actions, they gave glory to God. He says in John 17, 4, Father, I glorified you because I finished the works you asked me to do. We see in Hebrews 1, 3, that Jesus is the radiance of of God's glory. It's like the rays off a sun is Jesus himself. We see in Revelation 1, 12 through 16, that Jesus appears and his eyes are like fire and his face is like the sun. We see in Luke 9, 34, Jesus is on a mountain and his disciples don't know what's going on and his face starts to glow. And there all of a sudden, there's a sound from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's on a mount of transfiguration. John 1, 14 that says that Jesus is the word of God who came and dwelled among us. That word dwelled is tabernacled. He tented. He is the location of the glory of God. We see then in the love and justice of God. Look at this. The, the, the most brilliant manifestation of the glory of God is in Jesus Christ, this love and justice. Jesus said it this way. Jesus is getting toward the time when he's going to be on the cross. When he's going to give his life away, says Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man himself to be glorified. What does that mean? Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seed. And he skips ahead. He says, My soul's troubled. Troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason. 
I came to this hour. So then he says, ask for help. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice comes from heaven. He says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it, it thundered. We've heard the glory of God. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now's the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to do what? To show the kind of death he would die. The biggest, clearest manifestation of the glory of God is Jesus on the cross. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. We do see Jesus who is made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned, crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because he suffered death. That by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So we say, what is the glory of God? It's the weight of God's honor, splendor, wealth, high status. It's God alone. It's his presence, his creation, his actions, his sight, sound, place, his love and his justice. And as Brian Augustine said so clearly, During worship, the easiest way to say it is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. All those things. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you revealed yourself so clearly to us. So, we say, why do we worship? Well, here's why. It's the reasonable response to the glory of God. Like, I'll just, this is so fun to show you. Moses and Aaron, when they went to the tent of meeting, they came out, they blessed the people. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering, the fat portion of the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy, interesting, and fell face down. I see fire blowing out of a building. I don't know if joy is my thing, but... They shouted for joy in response and fell face down. Solomon, when he finished praying over the, the temple that he built, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, isn't this, say something about the core of God's glory. He is good. I see the glory of God, I say, He is good. His love endures forever. They saw what Moses had seen. We see Daniel saying, in my vision at night, he sees this vision of a son of man in the ancient of days. He says, there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. And what's the response? All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. This is fun. This is the Ezekiel workout. He saw these appearances of the Lord. This is the appearance of the lightness of the glory. When I saw it, I fell face down. So I got up, went out to the plane, and the glory of the Lord was standing there like the glory I'd seen before, and I fell face down. I saw the glory of the Lord, God of Israel, coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and land was radiant with his glory. The vision I saw was like the vision I'd seen when he came to destroy the city, and like the vision I had seen by the Kibar River, and I fell face down. I looked and saw the glory of the Lord filling the temple of the Lord, and I fell face down. Seeing a theme here. 
And here's what John says when he saw Jesus in Revelation 1. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I have a pretty strong feeling that it's a fairly involuntary response. Yeah, me and God are buddies. (laughs) You know. (laughs) So why do we worship? Glory. The glory of the Lord. So it's just what we respond is the absolute beauty. The weight of His beauty. It's the normal, reasonable, actually, if you will, human response to the glory of the Lord. How beautiful He is. How powerful He is. So what do we do now? This is where it gets so fun as we look at God's glory. You don't have to amp anything up to worship. This is why we know worship's not simply about emotions. Because emotions are responses to things. You know what I'm saying? But when you see God's glory, something happens to you. We look at the weight of God's honor, splendor, wealth, high status. And here's ways we can do it. Recognizing God's presence, we sense something this morning. That makes you want to worship Him, doesn't it? God's creation. Have you ever felt when you saw something that I want to worship the one who made this? God's actions. I know that maybe none of us have seen the Red Sea split, but I've seen things like the Red Sea split in this room because I know you people. And I've seen things, people forgiven who never should have, people redeemed who never should have, people off of addictions who never should have, people out of prison who never should have gotten out of it. And see it, we hear it. It's somewhere. His love and his justice. We'll talk about more about this next week, but the fact that the core of his his beauty is his love and his justice, that's why. I'm just gonna say this, I'm gonna poke somebody. Bah. It's good for us to celebrate something like Juneteenth. Jesus doesn't want anybody bound. He's come to set the captives free. And we say, thank you, Jesus. That's something that looks like the way you act. That looks like what it looks like when you're living at the core of your glory. You're giving it to us as his love and his justice. It looks like Jesus. And I'm not kidding when I tell you this. The word I was, and I didn't tell anybody on the worship team this. The word I was going to use to say really quick what the glory of the Lord is was wow. I'm absolutely serious. But I thought, eh. That might fall flat. So I, I, mean, I just was like, hey, I'm not going to do that. Wow. The easiest way, I think, to look at God's glory is this, what Paul said. God who said, light, let light shine out of darkness. That same, mm, that word that brought light to creation that brought into being, that some would say the energy is at the core of what the universe is all made out of, right? Is light a wave or particle? I'm getting out of trouble. Yeah, as my engineering friends are like, don't go further. 
He made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory. What is the knowledge of God? I want to know what God's glory is. I want to see it. I want to feel it. I want to experience it. Where is it? It's displayed in the face of Jesus. That means when we look at Jesus' actions, we look at what Jesus did. And sometimes I just say, Jesus, I want to see what you're like. I've yet to really see his face, but man, I've had some brushes. And it's ruined me for anything else. Now, dads, just so you know, I'm not forgetting us. First of all, the best thing I can do, I think I can do for any father is to say, stare at the glory of God. But here's one of the reasons why, is the why of the glory of God, Jesus tells us in John 17. He says, Jesus looked toward heaven and prayed. It's Jesus' last major prayer, the longest prayer we have of his before he goes to the cross. He says, Father, the hour has come. Will you glorify me so I can glorify you? I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. One of the most critical things that God, we learn about God through Jesus is that God is a father first. Why? Because Jesus is a son. So if we're wondering about the size of God's glory and we're tempted to think there's something impassive or overly regal, like you say, don't come any closer because Jesus is saying the opposite. Glory is shared between Father and Son. In fact, he says this, Father, I want you. I want those you've given me. He's praying for us, by the way, in this prayer. I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and see my glory. The glory you have given me, why? Because you loved me before the creation of the world. The splendor, the, 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 the saying, son, you're beautiful. I love you, you're majestic. I'm going to tell you this. Why? Because I love you. The glory of God is relational at its heart. It's about his love, his goodness, his justice. So fathers, we actually get to, in a very dim way, reflect what's happening to father and son of this outward going, self-giving, because I love you, I'm going to bestow honor on you. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Why? How's he do it? By washing her with the water of the word. I'm going to use my words to beautify the people around me. That's what Father does. And then what happens is this glory starts to happen in the Spirit, by the Spirit, back into us. Because whether people recognize it or not, we're doing what the Father does. We enter the beauty of the Trinity and it's all of the Trinity's glory. So, what do we do? I want to encourage us to look, look at God's glory. You don't even have to plan on worshiping. It will happen. Look at God's glory. Guys, Jesus gets tempted in Matthew 4 by the devil. And the devil says this, I will give you all the glory of all the kingdoms of the earth if you will worship me. Misplaced worship. The promise of glory. Look at the glory of all those kingdoms. Guys, we're surrounded by the very same temptation every day. 
the glory of the kingdoms that we see in the narratives of movies we watch, that if you'd finally become rich, powerful, and successful, you would be glorious. Of heroes that have made the the success in the eyes of the culture. God says, oh no, there's only one glory. It's mine. I'm going to tell you, and when you're near my glory, I just show you a little, you'll fall face down. So, here's a prayer I wrote based on based on these passages. I wondered if we could pray it out loud together. Let's go ahead and stand. Brian, if you could come. Give a little music on the or whoever's on the keys. Was it that? Okay. All right. Think about how much God actually wants to reveal his glory to us. Because if you're wondering if he wants to reveal his glory, just think on Jesus. Think about the level of trouble he went to. So that as John 1.14 says about Jesus, and we beheld his glory. Glory of the one and only God that comes through Jesus Christ. It's not just Jesus, it's the Father, it's the Spirit coming through Jesus Christ, seeing His glory. So if we ask Him to show us His glory, He will. The question is, are our hearts able to respond? Are we too distracted with other glories that are so lesser? I am all the time, you know, I, I, I know I am. It's okay. You don't fix yourself. I don't fix myself. We just say, okay, Jesus, I need some help. Will you help me to see your glory? John, John Free talked about it. When you're not sure if you're pleasing, just go ask Jesus. And he'll say, okay, I'll help you. Yes, and that's the only way it works. So here's a prayer. You read that and just to see if you can read it and mean it. Because we're going to pray it out loud together if you want to. Everybody good? Okay, so let's pray this out loud together. Father, at creation you said, let there be light. And there was light. Today, once again, we ask you to say, let there be light. That we might see God's glory in the face of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to end with asking God's glory to be spread over all the earth. So we're going to pray for those far from God who have yet to see the arresting beauty of God himself, who've been lost in things that are so much lesser and they're destroying their lives. Let's pray this out loud. Lord, I pray for the people in my life who are far from you. Deliver them from the evil one. Bring them into your family and help them to grow as your disciples. So Lord, will you give us eyes to see where you are declaring your glory, whether it be as simple as just a meal or as astounding as fire coming from the sky. We're open, Lord. We want to see you. We want to see Jesus. Amen quick announcement can I see the hands again of those who don't have electricity 
Oh my gosh. Okay. So we're going to leave the church building open if you want to go home and, or if you want to go get some lunch and then come back and bring your device chargers. Um, we'll probably have this place be a quiet zone because otherwise kids love to run around here. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. So um, we'll have the fireside room open. The front doors will be open. Uh, we'll do that until 5 p.m. So if you want to come back, this is all of our church, right? So come be the church together.